episode number five. Here we go. Welcome to the Weight Training Podcast with your host, Tracy Waite. Hey, welcome back. It's great to be with you. This is episode five of the Weight Training Podcast, and I am thrilled to bring you my guest for this episode. When I first started thinking about doing a podcast, this was an individual that rose to the top of the list of people that I could think of that I wanted to be able to interview and dig into his mindsets, his motivations, and his techniques of how he's developed himself as an outstanding coach, father, husband, but also how he's been able to create such a popular and successful program as a head tennis coach, both for men's and women's at Legend High School in Parker, Colorado. I had the distinct pleasure of having my daughter play under his coaching for four years while she attended that school. And she just blossomed both as a person and as an athlete. And I was able to witness countless others that were impacted by Coach Marshall and just how he goes about life and how it is that he coaches and the things that he does that make that program so fun is why he has so many athletes that go out to play tennis. It's a non-cut sport but there's lots of schools that have tennis as an uncut sport and they struggle to get athletes to go out and play. Not at Legend High School. He, as we'll talk about in the interview, has lots of kids that come out and play tennis because uh, they want to be around that program and it is a program that he's developed that is uh, so successful that there is uh, so many uh, great athletes that are coming out of that program both from a standpoint of who they're becoming and maturing into, both on and off the court. So I'm thrilled to be able to share our interview. This was a fun one for me. And so without further ado, let's get into it. Here's Coach Craig Marshall. Coach Marshall, I am thrilled that you're here for the Weight Training Podcast. I've uh, been thinking about having you on the podcast for probably three months since I decided that I wanted to do something like this. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Tracy. I'm honored to be here. You are somebody that um, I believe is uh, doing things the right way. And what I mean by that is um, coaching where you're not only helping to develop players in your tennis program, but you're also developing them as people, which I think uh, when they look back to people who are influential in their life, they'll always look back at Coach Marshall as being somebody that really made an impact on them. So I just want you to give us a little bit of background and history as to where you went to high school, where you went to college, and then what was it that made you decide that you wanted to go into teaching and coaching? Give us a little bit of that journey. Well, uh, being a native Colorado, and I uh, grew up on the west side of uh, Denver in a suburb of Wheat Ridge, um, very positive elementary, middle school upbringing, um, single parent, family, but uh, we were very tight-knit. Uh, my mom and my brother, we were just extremely uh, supportive of each other. Uh, graduated in 1976 uh, from Wheat Ridge, and it's so ironic. Um, my brother is the one who got me interested and in, involved in sports to begin with by bribing me, bribing me to play whatever he wanted, football, basketball, whatever. 
for just a few minutes and then he'd play with me, meaning my trucks. That's all I wanted to do is play trucks. And that's, I didn't want to have anything to do with sports. It was just all trucks. And it was so ironic. That Tonka trucks? Tonka trucks, you've got that. But I'm saying it was amazing how he uh, bribed me to where then all of a sudden I realized this is a lot of fun. Um, but graduated in 1976 from Wheat Ridge, as I said before. Um, went to Bethany College after staying out one year. Uh, in Lindsborg, Kansas, and uh, went there from 77 through uh, 81. So that's not some place where I hear that people go very often. What was the thought process that uh, led you to that school? Well, it was amazing. Um, you know, you get all those college uh, nights and, and visitations, and it was amazing. Um, an admissions counselor slash tennis coach came to... It was the Howard Johnson's Motel out on Hamden and I-25, and I decided to go. And Bryce Young is uh, my college tennis coach that I've really admired and have, you know, followed all these years, and have, he's led me to a, a very positive career. But that is what he was just extremely inspiring and a wonderful role model, but he really was um, integral in making me become a unique person instead of just following the crowd. But again, it's in central Kansas. I mean, I'm a native of Colorado, and that was, you know, if you would have said, you know, years ago, is that where you'd go to college? Probably not. But it was just uh, meant to be. It really was. Did you, um, had you heard of it prior to? No. I, I, I had not. I mean, as of when I was a senior, and I did stay out a year, so I didn't start until the fall of 77. But I had, I mean, I've heard of small colleges, but I had not heard of that one in particular. So at what point did you know what you wanted to major in? Not till my junior, uh, not till my sophomore year, because initially I was a business major, and um, I knew after going about a week in classes that that was just not going to be my major. <laughs> And what was because uh, it was tough, or you just weren't interested. It in just it? wasn't. It didn't uh, light a fire. It just didn't. Okay. I mean, and it was somewhat tough. But I mean, I, I could have stood up to the rigor. But again, it was Coach Young, and then also another amazing coach. But he was the department head of the physical education department, uh, Dr. Jim Crub, and he was the one who really made me realize that teaching is truly an amazing profession. And that you can have such an effect on your clients' lives. In this case, <laughs> elementary school students, middle school, and all the way up to high school. Um, and that's when it was that summer after my um, sophomore year that I became a youth director of uh, our junior team tennis in Wheat Ridge during the summers. And I was totally hooked. I mean, it was just quick. And... From that point on, it was probably 1978, I think. It was about a year or so after I'd started college that I knew I wanted to become a teacher and then not just a teacher slash coach because so many people say that teaching is coaching and coaching is teaching, and I, and I believe that. But that really led me to a very positive path. So when you said that uh, he influenced you, um, was it by things that he said and things that he... You know, would uh, you know? Would he encourage you to teach? Was it uh, just how he loved his job? 
It was all of those because he was our cross-country coach, too, at Bethany. And okay. I actually uh, ran cross-country and played tennis there. Um, but he just lived every day to its fullest. And his passion would just spill over. I mean, his enthusiasm was just contagious. And he was inspiring, yet he, he was very realistic and he was very honest. And, and he was an amazing coach. And I was so fortunate to have two amazing coaches in cross country and tennis. But uh, Jim Crubb, as I said, was amazing because he was very realistic, but he gave you that motivation to become the best you can be. And especially, I mean, you know, during cross country, because cross country can be very mentally taxing um, during practice, logging miles and then performing in meets. And he, he made it wonderful. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's what good coaches do. You know, and that leads me to my next question. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've been coaching now. Have you kept track? What year of coaching is um, this for you? I started coaching in 1983. Okay. <laughs> so that's quite a few years. And I started coaching at Rangeview High School in uh, present day um, East Aurora, but it's not considered East anymore because of the development. But it was a brand new school, and it, the social media was not what it was today. Um, I recruited my players by getting out the yellow pages and going down the directory and getting phone calls. I'll never forget that. Uh, we started from ground zero where we didn't even have juniors or seniors. Uh, we had ninth and 10th graders and they were very, very young. And we, we started very basic and we kept working and working and working. I took over the girls program as well, not right away, but by 1992, no, 91, our girls team was third in state in Colorado. And it was based on hard work, belief in yourself, and just, just accountability. I mean, it was incredible. But it was amazing to see kids evolve. And these were not kids that played year-round tennis. Now, and I think I didn't say it. This was in the sport of high school tennis. Yeah. So you didn't uh, just let the school put out... Um some type of a flyer on the first day of school saying that there was uh, tennis was a sport that was available to be played and you didn't just mm -hmm. go to the courts and wait for kids to come. You actually got the phone book out and called and uh, asked people to come out. Yeah, because, I mean, even back then, I mean, there were some generic flyers or whatever, but, I mean, that wasn't just the way I would approach it. I'm, I'm a very hands-on type coach where... It's just huge, the communication. And even today, instead of texting an email, I would much rather have a face-to-face -face conversation with a family or a athlete instead of just, you know, communicating through other means. But back then, yeah, I tried to take more initiative, and it, it paid off. But I'm saying it was pretty primitive, the approach, but I never lost sight of what I was trying to do, and that is to get people to play tennis and you know it, it went it worked well that's awesome that's i think a lot of people could learn that uh, developing a program doesn't just happen by chance you actually have mm -hmm. to put some effort and some work into it and absolutely sports programs are no different exactly that's awesome that's why you know i'll share with the listeners that uh, coach marshall coaches now at legend high school and has a very successful program and i 
say that successful is not just uh, in terms of the results that the teams get, but it's the numbers of athletes that come out to play a high school sport. And that is something that is introducing them to something outside of the classroom that they can really put some mental focus into, how to overcome adversity, how to take coaching and criticism to get better instead of looking at it as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And so I see at both the uh, the first day of uh, when tennis season starts as well as at the banquet at the end of the season, just how much participation there is and how much uh, camaraderie there is among the players as well as the parents. Because developing a good, healthy program is something that um, everybody involved really wants to be a part of it. And that's why... Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to miss the end of the year banquet because it's such a great time for everybody to get together. Well, that's, those are very kind words. And, and to piggyback off that, Tracy, we this past season um, of the girls' season at Legend High School, and in fact, your daughter was a part of that team, Lily, uh, we had 92 players <laughs> register for girls' tennis. Yeah. Uh, 78 stuck it out, which that's still quite a throng. And although some of the kids maintain that they wanted to go out for tennis because of the uniforms. Um, <laughs> Whatever you, it you takes. T- yeah, you, you touched on it. Um, they really, really did enjoy um, their time during the season. And it's such a short season, but it is indeed a lifetime sport. And that's what I try to really instill in all of these student athletes. It's not just you know hitting your forehand perfectly or your serve or whatever, um, but it's creating... Um, a mindset of where you'd want to continue to play this once you're out of high school and continuing down the road 10, 15, 20 years or many decades from I, that time. I agree 100%. I'm really a part of uh, the weight training podcast is not only to dig into the experiences and the mindsets of really good coaches, but it's also to dig into those things that help people to fall in love with being physically active for a lifetime because we know just how much uh, that improves people's mental capabilities as well as their physical ones. And I'm somebody that likes to say that, you know, it's not how many years you live, it's the quality of the years that you live, you know, because if Mm -hmm. uh, you're bed bound for the last 10 years of your life, that's not real high quality. Uh, So I think being Mm -hmm. as active as long as possible is is awesome. And tennis is a fantastic Mm -hmm. introduction to how to do that. I want to dig into a little bit of your coaching mindset mm-hmm. and have you just uh, share what do you think good coaches do? Share with us a few principles of what good coaches do. Well, first of all, you have to be organized um, with your plans and what you want to accomplish. But first and foremost, um, you want to develop a we culture instead of a me culture. And I know that sounds cliche-ish, um, but I truly believe it. Um, you're so much more effective when you you have teammates, um, players, even other coaches on your staff really contributing to the common good of we instead of just me, 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 me. And it's tough sometimes because uh, the nature of tennis is sometimes very selfish um, with yeah, singles. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're out there on your own and you're resilient. Doubles is, you know, you, you have to really have each other's back and trust each other. I mean, that is the good doubles teams. But as a coach, um, 
it's it's that we culture instead of just me 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 also i i instill all of my athletes to to set goals um and they these should be goals that are long term short term and immediate because if you don't have um a vision you just don't you don't have a compass and it's it's hard for you to really get anywhere even even the most raw beginner who's never held a racket before we make sure that um they're setting attainable goals and i love uh my athletes and and this is still old-fashioned old school um i give them a sheet of paper (laughs) and i have them write their goals on it instead of doing their little notepad or whatever on their phone I have them write it on a sheet of paper and they turn it into me. And I know that sounds very primitive, but it really works. I take a photo of it on my phone, I send it back to them so they have that record. Um, but it's that long-term vision that they um, they really need. Um, and do you like to keep it simple? Do you just have them write down a couple of things or do you have them write down a list of 10? Well, I, I, I don't get too extensive because, you know, if some kids and i'm not saying chronological age but between ninth and 12th grade which is high school where i coach um some kids are not used to setting goals and they don't even know the first thing about it so you almost have to teach them what is an attainable goal what is a goal that is a little thinking outside of the box and then is there a goal that you just think wow that would be incredible to get but getting back to your question um I don't accept just, I'm, I have one goal and that's it. I, I, I will turn the goal sheet back at them. So in answering your question, um, I want to have them more in depth and I don't have a blank of like 10 blanks, but I'd say at least multiple three to four things. And you know, they really have no limit of how many goals that they set. But I find that it's, it's very positive. Um, I had an athlete that just finished his season um, just a few days ago um, that started out as a ninth grader um, the one of the lowest teams on the junior varsity. Now, the junior varsity means you still play matches. It's a no-cut sport in high school tennis in Colorado. Um, but he was at a very new level. I shouldn't say low, a very new level. And most all the players were more proficient than him. You would never know. He set goals. He was extremely positive, so positive that some of his other teammates are just shaking their head and they're going, man, this guy, I've never seen anybody more positive than this guy because sometimes they'll hit in the net and they'll say, hey, this is all good. Let's keep going. Well, sophomore year, he's improving. You know, he's still on the middle of the JV. Uh, Last year, he was oh so close to making the varsity. And this year, he did make the varsity. And he, he excelled. And it was wonderful to see his hard work, his goal setting, the we instead of me culture come to the forefront and see it as a coach. I mean, that's flat out awesome. I mean, he he played really well. I mean, he played well, but it was just the whole process and the journey that really made me feel really good as a coach because it makes you proud. It really does. I think I know who you're talking about. And... If it is the person I know, he is so vocal with his positivity that it rubs mm-hmm. off on everybody else on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, you would uh, think sometimes when um, there's a very tight match and he would miss a point that, you know, you can choose to be very negative, but mm-hmm. he's somebody that would just, you know, look across the court and just say, mm-hmm. 
great shot and he really means it and that's something that I think uh, surprises a lot of people about how positive you can be. And back to your, you know, what makes a good coach. I, I just feel so fortunate to be around these kids uh, and student athletes because that's um, really fun to be around when you're around that. Um, but as far as other things that I look for as a coach, I want to make sure I'm accountable because if I'm not accountable, are my student athletes going to be accountable? What do you mean by that? I mean not only being organized, uh, just being so succinct and so prompt when you're working on things in practice, um, just being responsible um, on and off the court, um, just being on time, making sure that if you're not on time, you're informing your assistant coaches, I mean, because things come up. But it's just that because if I'm accountable, my athletes will realize, yes, this, this is a, an important program and we are going to all be accountable. And that's just huge. The word that comes to mind is consistency, mm-hmm. being consistent in mm-hmm. how it is that you start practices, how it is that you communicate, mm-hmm. um, the amount of time before practices or matches that you let people know things. Right. Um, I think that that creates some predictability to where everyone understands. Yeah, so the communication is piece is key. a very professional program. Yes. Yeah, that's Agreed. Awesome. Agreed. So nobody's perfect coach. Um, tell me about some things, uh, you know, it can be from a few years ago or recently. What are some things where you feel like, um, you know, you've made a mistake and you felt like, you know, you needed to do something a little bit different. We're all growing and that's something I like about you. I think you were very mm-hmm. honest and you're able to, you know, think through think through your day and say, you know what, I wish I could have handled that a little bit different. Is there anything that comes to mind, you know, that just helps us to mm. see that nobody's perfect and right. you know, we all have challenges that we have to learn from? Things that I need to work on because if if I come to a point where I think I don't have to work on anything, <laughs> then I don't want to be a part of that right. <laughs> because I always want to be, be getting better and improving. Um, but one area is not just the communication, but having more of a seamless process of determining our lineup, meaning at the beginning of the season, I guess you could say tryouts, but since our season is so short in high school tennis, um, having it more seamless, more efficient, um, and, I, and I don't want to say the word fair because there's never a totally fair process that's, that's of tryouts or selection processes but that's one thing i want to continue to work on and get more seamless but every year is a different year because you have different numbers of kids you have different weather conditions and things like that but still i want to get i want to get better at that i've i've improved on it but i'm still not satisfied with myself another thing that i need a lot of work on is just um technology and having technology work for me with charting matches and there are so many great tools out there um, you know, second serve percentage and things that can really, really help players here and now. And I've done a lot of videoing, which is huge because, you know, the old saying pictures are worth a thousand words um, and that's getting better. But I'm just saying I want to continue to improve myself uh, in the technology arena to help my athletes. Yeah, I think that as we get older, um you know, and technology seems to go faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Seems like we're just trying to keep up, and sometimes we're not able to look at 
you know, what can actually benefit mm-hmm. me? Because it seems like we're always a little bit behind, especially mm-hmm. some oh, of yes. the kids, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes, my own family, they are so far, much farther ahead of me in technology. So I think I know the answer to this, but is one of the most difficult things for you from a coaching standpoint, deciding who's on varsity and who stays, you know, on JV, you know, and just, you know, sometimes I think our, you know, there's just all the kids are really good, you know, but mm-hmm. there's kids maybe they've been with the program for four years and, mm-hmm. you know, there's someone that just, you know, skill-wise is just better than them. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very difficult thing. Is that tough for you? It is. It's very tough. In fact, it happened to uh, our Legend Boys team just this past season. Um, and it comes down to, okay, challenge matches, scores, yes. I mean, you know, the, the succinct part of it is did they win or did you not win but on the other hand, that works really well for singles when it's a singles player. Yeah, but a doubles team, there's so much. There's so many differences. Chemistry, yeah. how you're working together with a partner. Um, there's a lot of things that go into that. So one doubles team might be two sing two people on the side of the same side of the net playing singles, which that's not what you want. You don't want a selfish yeah. team. Um, on the other hand, um, again, it comes down to commitment. It comes down to, you know, resiliency and those fact, all those factors I consider as a coach who I want to be on my doubles teams. Now, not necessarily singles, but doubles. And and we had some really tough calls to make, uh, this season. But again, that's, it's not a fun time, but again, I but I talk to all the players that are involved. I don't just email them or text them, and then they just sort of find out. We have one-on-one communication, so they understand what what is being done and why. So that's not easy to do having those conversations. No, but no, it isn't. But uh, it's a part that's of best coaching for everybody involved. And well, um, it's it's not all that common in coaching. Good coaches, that's what they do, mm-hmm. uh, but. You know, the coaches that are uncomfortable with that, they just put a list up on the wall and they say at 3 o'clock you can see what team you made. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how coaches, in my opinion, that don't want that uh, confrontation. You know, right. That's, that's how they handle it. Um, let's, let's move on to uh, something I'm interested in learning a little bit more about you. Tell us, um, you know, you've, uh, you've lived a few decades now. Tell us... Tell us, you know, it can be in coaching, it could be family. You have a wonderful family and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some wonderful children. Tell us um, a few things that Coach Marshall is really proud of. Well, I am so proud uh, the day I met my wife, uh, Lisa. That's awesome. And we were married um, a little over 25 years ago, June 20th, um, up at Rockland Community Church uh, in Genesee. And I'm so proud of not just that day, but where it's taken my life. Um, because she's an amazing companion, she's an amazing friend, she's an amazing spouse, she's an amazing mom to her family, um, and she's an amazing wife. And that, I'm not just singling out that day, but that's the day our our family began. And um, it's just wonderful because she's uh, very supportive of everything that I do, whether it's traumatic or whether it's uh, just it's just w- working out smoothly um, and that's I'm just so proud 
Um, so it's always a story. How did uh, you meet your wife? Well, that's that's what's so even more amazing. Um, <laughs> the year before, um, I was getting my second endorsement and later my master's degree at the University of Colorado at Denver. Um, the school year I was not quite finished with, and it was you know finishing things up as an elementary PE teacher and organ organizational duties with field day, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to probably have to just drop this class. Well, come to find out, it was a meth elementary methods class for science, music, or science, uh, mathematics, and, and social studies, because my endorsement was going to be in elementary education. We go down there, or I go down there rather, and um, I just noticed this one lady in the class, and I, it was on the very first day, and I went, well, she's very attractive, but uh, I'm going to probably drop this class anyway, so I won't even be there. But um, it was truly amazing how we met, and she was getting her degree in um, elementary education, and, uh, it, and it just happened. It was, it was very unusual. <laughs> So like I tell my children, it's, uh, you're never going to really know when you're going to meet that person. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. it just, uh, it happens. Mm -hmm. It might be a Tuesday, it might be a Wednesday, but all of a sudden, oh my gosh, right? You know, I met that person. And it's so wonderful, all ch our children. Uh, we have three wonderful daughters. Uh, my oldest is a freshman in college, Renee. She's at the Loyola University in Chicago and is, is enjoying it. Um, my Next daughter, Amy, she's uh, a 10th grader at Legend High School and likes to play tennis, not, tennis not just because of me, but uh, in fact, all three of them do. And uh, she's very, very interested in uh, her choir and, and playing tennis and soccer and, and student government. I could go on and on. Um, my youngest daughter, Natalie, is uh, soon to be 10 and in the fourth grade at uh, Challenge to Excellence and basically loves to just... Do a lot of things I do, whether it's <laughs> basketball or softball or She's jump rope. Around, Dad. She she loves it, and I do want to go back to my oldest daughter. Renee has had this amazing passion for Irish dance, uh, and she's just loved it ever since an early age of three. That's and, when she started. Yeah, and she, and not because of us, because she just totally loves it, and she's continuing to this day to uh, dance at Trinity uh, School back in Chicago. That's awesome. That's, I know she's been able to do a lot of traveling because mm -hmm. of that Irish dance. Oh, yes, and, it, and it's just wonderful. I mean, again, I'm so proud of my wife and our family, and it's, it's just a cohesive unit. And uh, without family, it's, 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 uh, it'd be harder to achieve different things as far as I look at it. it but with family, it's yeah, a lot I agree, easier. I think uh, what I tell people is that when you have children, um, I mm -hmm. think that you understand the true meaning of the word joy mm -hmm. by having children and mm -hmm. uh, a spouse that you know supports you and is that um, you know teammate just like what you said about Lisa. Mm -hmm. I think that's you know without those things, I don't think you really get a true understanding. Yeah, I of totally that. agreed. I mean, you're you're exactly right about the word joy. So you and I have gone through uh, something uh, similar. So our oldest mm -hmm. daughters have just gone off to college mm -hmm. and they've been there now I think a couple of months mm -hmm. or so. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult for dad to have the oldest uh, move out? And she went a long ways from uh, mm -hmm. Colorado to mm -hmm. Chicago. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought it was going to just be very, you know, mundane and just like, okay, we'll <laughs> yeah, get right. used to this. <laughs> uh, but I was very surprised. And um, 
I miss her terribly. I'll be very <laughs> honest. But on the other hand, I'm just so glad to see her in a very good place, yeah. and that has to uh, be how I view things. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's been a a different transition than I expected it to be. But I I'm again very happy for her. Yeah, I think uh, what we've experienced at our home is. It's just a different dynamic at home having mm-hmm. uh, one child gone. You know, it's, uh, you know, that person's not there to interact with on a daily basis. You know, mm-hmm. the normal goings-ons around the house and, you know, taking them to their activities or going to watch oh. their activities. That's right. something that drives me crazy is, you know, my daughter is playing tennis, thanks to you, in college. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's something I want to talk about in a second is mm-hmm. her um, signing day that was, you know, just... Mm-hmm a great representation of what good looks like when it comes mm-hmm. to a coach representing um, one of their athletes. Mm-hmm. But it drives me crazy because I liked to pride myself to be at all of her athletic events when mm-hmm. she was in junior high and high school. And now that she's in college and not, you know, just mm-hmm. an hour away, I can't be at all of the matches. So that mm-hmm. uh, really drives me a little oh, crazy. Agreed. <laughs> agreed. Coach, um, I want you to tell me a little bit about um, what a stressful experience that you've had. That you, we just want to talk a little bit about how um, you got over that, and just mm-hmm. kind of how your mind thinks when it comes to things that are stressful. I know you're. We want to talk a little bit about uh, the new tennis center here in Parker mm-hmm. that you've mm-hmm. been a part of putting together and organizing mm-hmm. and developing mm-hmm. for the last few years. Mm-hmm. So it may this may uh, be part of that, but. Tell me about something that was very stressful, a stressful time, and how you kind of got through that. Well, that, that's an excellent question. Um, stress, as we all know, can be you know a, a good thing, and it can be sometimes detrimental. But I always try and use stress and learn from stress, and tr- and still ultimately try to benefit it, benefit from it. Um, but I have to look back, and it goes back to family. You know, not my immediate family. Uh, but I think some of the most stressful moments uh, and times for me uh, was dealing with the loss of my brother mm-hmm. and uh, my mom and my uncle. Now, nothing, it doesn't, you know, I'm not comparing the losses because losses are difficult and you have different ways to grieve. Um, but my brother passed away in 2005 due to stage four colon cancer, and it took us for a loop, we, we, you know, blindsided us is what it did. Um, but I tried to use that stress to become really educated on uh, colon cancer um, and continue to be preventative of, you know, other family members, you know, you know having that. Um, but it was very stressful. But getting to your question and really answering it, during stressful times, I make sure every day I move my body. And if I don't move my body, whether it's cycling, running, walking, moving my body, um, stress just keeps to, keeps getting uh, larger and pent up inside of me. Um, but I really, I just try to really move my body, listen to my body, and, and that really helps. And of course, that's not all of the grief process and now dealing with my mom's loss in 2014 um, and my uncle's loss in, in the same year, um, it's, it still was tough. But I'm saying those, those are stressful times for me. And I know there are other things with finances and 
your immediate family with school and things like that. Those are all different st stress triggers. Uh, but for me, um, it's just the dealing with grief and loss in my family. But again, I try to move. I try to practice my faith and just, uh, you know, being a positive person because it's so easy to let stress control your life and then you're not you're not being positive for people that are around you. I'm a big fan of what you said. And do you think mm -hmm. that moving your body and just you know getting out and being active helps um, with your mental um, ability to deal with stress and with challenges? Exactly, and that's exactly why I do it. It just it helps me clear my mind. I just can think of things more clearly uh, with a better perspective instead of not moving. Um, but again, th those were very stressful times. Um, and I did forget, I mean, just this past year in 2016, I lost two of my dearest friends that are basically my age. Uh, one fr was from a cardiac arrest and one was from a, a muscular uh, disorder. But I'm saying still, you, you deal with it and you you continue to go on and, and, and you, you learn from it and you continue to be positive. I think that's important, the, the learning from it, even though it doesn't seem like there's uh, any lessons worth mm -hmm. learning at the time. But yeah. I think that you know, we all realize that we're all going to lose loved ones and we're all going to have mm -hmm. challenges and nobody's life is uh, going to be all sunshine and rainbows. You know, exactly. And, and understanding how to get through those things without... Uh, you know, your own life falling apart is important and mm -hmm. looking for the bright spots. So thanks for sharing oh, that. Oh, you're welcome. Coach, uh, I've got just a few more questions here for you. Mm -hmm. I just want to dig into a little bit of uh, how it is that you take care of yourself. So, you know, you're not a spring chicken anymore. You're a little older than mm -hmm. 30. Um, <laughs> you know, but you are in really good shape and, mm -hmm. you know, you haven't let yourself go. There's a lot of people once mm -hmm. uh, they graduate from high school or if they were fortunate enough to play athletics in college, as mm -hmm. soon as that's over with, you know, the stresses of career and then, you know, family mm -hmm. demands and time on their, uh, in their life, you know, people aren't as disciplined about mm -hmm. exercise and watching what they eat and, you know, and you're in extremely good shape. Give us a little idea of uh, how Coach Marshall approaches his day. Give us an idea when you wake up, what mm -hmm. kinds of things you eat, Yes. How often do you exercise? Give us an idea. Well, it, it's changed and evolved over the years, but one thing that's constant is discipline. And I learned this um, back in college with my amazing coaches, Coach Crub and Coach Young, where I like to get up early and not so early, but you know, back in college, sometimes it was really early because of student teaching and my major and we had to run miles for cross country. But the way it looks now is that we're up early anyway. Um, so was that 5 a.m.? What time? Yeah, um, 5, 5.30, 5 okay. to 5.30 in that range. Okay. But if it's not running immediately there, it's getting on the exercise ball, loosening up spine, uh, doing a lot of passive exercises push-ups, curl-ups, and then we'll even do, do pull-ups. And I'm, I'm saying just lifting your own weight is so positive, it, it, yeah, regardless so of your age. Now, I'm going to be 60 in a few months, but I pride myself on, on feeling good. And I mean, it's not necessarily the physical appearance. It's feeling good Absolutely. and having energy to get through 
what you need to do during a given day. Now, if I don't uh, run at that time, right now I will get um, my children off to their schools and my best training partner over the years has been um, our dogs. Okay. And currently we have uh, Siberian Husky Tala and I mean it just, they, they, they thrive on it with the discipline. And I mean, I'm not talking a marathon distance, but it's anywhere from two to three miles and you know maybe a little longer on a certain day. But it's just consistency, uh, getting some upper body in, lifting your own weight, getting your heart rate up. And then I will still do a lot of jump rope too, where if it's okay. a really bad um, weather day where you can barely even traverse outside from point this, A to point B. You mean if it's uh, a foot and a half of snow outside, that's not an excuse just to do nothing? Maybe maybe I won't go for my longer run, but I'm <laughs> saying I'll still be trying to get that heart rate up with jump rope, and I find that's just huge. And uh, So how many days a week does that look like that you're, that you're active? At least five, five to six. Okay. And it might be seven, but I mean, again, it, it just it takes on a different look each year. But now years ago, um, before family, and I just graduated from college, I mean, I, uh, being a marathon runner and training for marathons, you'd be running twice a day. You'd be, you know, consuming a lot of calories to yep. have enough energy to do what you're even trying to do. Um, and it just gave you that discipline to where... Um, you could achieve what you were trying to do. So I'm going to come back to the marathon because I'm very mm -hmm. interested in that. But tell us a little bit about what kinds of things do you like to eat for breakfast? Do you eat breakfast? Oh, I, it, I am so boring, but I can't help it. Um, banana. Okay. <laughs> I mean, banana, banana, banana with potassium. But I'm saying, you know, a, a good cereal, you know, with the, the fiber and the protein. Um, you know, some juice, water. I mean, like a muffin. It's very, very similar, probably at least five, six days out of the week. And then once a week, we'll do more of like a family breakfast with maybe some pancakes and bacon yeah. and stuff like that. But that's basically my staple, cereal okay. and banana for breakfast. And do you, how often do you eat throughout the day? Um, three, three meals, but then interspersed, um, you know, protein bars, just, you know... Fresh fruit, you know, so like before so practice. Those gaps in between the, the big three meals with some snack stuff. Yeah, and definitely before practice. And, you know, and again, I'm still guilty of this, but I still need to work on just staying hydrated more. Yeah, isn't that the truth? It's, you know, it's, with the waters and not just the electrolyte drinks, but the water. Yeah. As we get older, uh, it seems like it goes through us faster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, agreed. <laughs> agreed. So um, I'm currently training for the Boston Marathon or to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So I'm mm -hmm. very interested in digging into that. Mm -hmm. Have you uh, run fast enough to qualify for the Boston Marathon? Yes. As a matter of fact, three times. And it was all in the 80s. And uh, back then I was under 40 years of age. So the qualifying time back <laughs> was then fast. was uh, under two hours and 50 minutes, which equates to mm -hmm. six minutes and like 20-something seconds. Mm -hmm. And what was really fun is that... Um, I was able to achieve that, and you had to achieve that at different marathon, a different marathon course within the calendar year, yeah. uh, and you didn't want to get it too close That's right. to when you were going to run. Right. But it was just a, a goal of mine, and it was it was wonderful the the process and the journey. And it was it hard work, yes. Um, would I do it again? Yes. Um, but it was 
it gave me a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline. And uh, in yeah, you eighty, don't just in, sign up for a marathon right. and decide to go run. You have to put in a few months of work. Yeah, and I, I would always uh, typically do at least sixteen weeks. I felt pretty good with sixteen weeks of prep. But the nineteen eighty four marathon, I'll never forget. Wake up, look out the hotel window, and the flags looked like they were starched. And I went, now let's see, which, which direction of the wind is that? And the Boston Marathon is a point-to-point -point course. It's not a loop course. So you're just running basically one direction. And that wind was right in our face the whole way. So, I mean, it was a tough course. The second time I ran it, it was a beautiful day, you know, no wind. And same way with a third time. But one thing I've learned about marathoning, just like life, you can prepare and think that you're totally prepared, but then there's something that might throw you for a loop. So you just have Isn't to kind of like adjust. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, I've... Uh, mm -hmm. Well, as, good luck to you with your training. As it gets a little closer, I'm running into some anxiety because mm -hmm. it's been a goal of mine for a long time. Mm -hmm. I've known people such as yourself as well mm -hmm. as past coaches that have just talked about how wonderful it is to be able to participate in that marathon. Well, it's, it's amazing, the history and... Um, I will never forget there were two parts of the course. Um, the first part was right around the half marathon point at mile 13 where you, you uh, run past Wellesley College, which is an all-women's college um, in Wellesley. And about a mile away, I said, what's that sound to another runner nearby me? And, and he said, well, oh, is this your first time running? I said, yes. He said, those are all the students. And it was a high-pitched screaming sound because they, uh, they all come out on that day. It's on Patriots Day, which is a Massachusetts state holiday. And as you got closer, the screaming was absolutely deafening where, wow. I mean, they're pumping up the runners as they go by. Um, the second thing I remember the most about the Boston Marathon is what they call Heartbreak Hill. Yes, I've heard of that. And it's not a hill, it's a series of hills. It's sort of like a staircase. And I know this sounds a little bit overconfident, and I'm not trying to sound that way, but there were all these signs, and they said, you just, you just did it. You know, you, you climbed Heartbreak Hill, and I went, what hill? <laughs> yeah. And well, I think it's because in Colorado, Colorado with that's... the training, it was, it was steeper. But it, it was a, an upgrade, yeah. but I didn't realize that we had crested it, and it <laughs> and, and, which was a good thing instead yeah. of, oh, my gosh, we have a lot more to run. Yeah, so. people, people who are not used to hills, I think, mm -hmm. that, um, they have more trouble with that. Mm -hmm. So a couple more questions, and then uh, we'll wrap up. Thank you so much for your time, Coach. Oh, thank this you. has been wonderful. Um, if you had the ability to put any message you wanted on a billboard, what message would Coach Marshall put up there? Now, this is on I-25. Mm -hmm. Probably a couple hundred thousand cars drive past this billboard every day. It's so obvious for me. It's that's just so easy. It's two words: carpe diem. Now I notice that you end every email with carpe diem. So I think probably a lot of people know what that means. But tell us why that's so important to you. Well, each day is a gift, and it, it just really came so evident to me when I, I saw this mid-80s movie, Dead Poets Society with Robin Williams. And he, in the early part of the movie, he was uh, a teacher at a, a, a very exclusive uh, boys prep school. And uh, 
he had all the boys look at the trophy case of all these old pictures from decades ago. And he was saying, lean in, boys, and just enjoy this moment. And he said the words carpe diem. And they were all looking very confused. And then they went, oh, wait, yeah, that means seize the day. Take every possibility that you can and, and, and make it as positive as you can. And from that, instead of saying, thank you, take care, sincerely, I thought, for whatever reason, I would sign emails or texts or whatever, carpe diem with my name, because I truly believe it. It doesn't matter if it's January 1st or it's your birthday or it's your anniversary or whatever. Every day can be a carpe diem day. So I think that billboard could really um, make people notice. I'm a big fan of that. That's so true. I mean, too many people let, uh, you know, one day slip into the next and they don't really see the significance that can possibly be had in each day. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think is very important. All right, Coach. So, you know, we talked a little bit about technology. This may not even come mm -hmm. in the classific classification of technology. What item, $100 or less, has impacted you the most in the last few years that you have purchased or had given to you? Running shoes. Oh. <laughs> now, 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 in this day and age, it might yeah. not be under a hundred dollars. I think if you shop around on Amazon, but you could probably find them. Well, and I don't know if I'm really answering what what you're trying to get at, but I know if there's just one simple item, because um, really, if you think about it, I, I guess I should say athletic shoes, not just running shoes. Okay. But it's that's it, a good answer. It. Uh, enables you to move and without a lot of other equipment um, and in most cases you can do that almost every day well you talked a little bit about how important just body weight exercise can be and we don't have to make uh, exercise and being fit it's very mm -hmm. complicated mm -hmm. you know take all day to do you know, right. A lot of people uh, talk about, you know, they just, oh, I didn't have a chance to get to the gym today. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you just um, explained how easy it is just in a few minutes a day to right. get your body moving mm -hmm. and do some things that keep you moving in a positive direction, mm -hmm. keep your range of motion up and your flexibility to where you can have a, a very good feeling in the skin that you live in. You know, it, it's, it's so, that point is so well taken, and I just, I truly believe that because... Sometimes you can make things so complex that you lose what you're trying to do and, and instead of keeping it simple. Yep, I'm <laughs> a big fan of that. Well, mm -hmm. Coach, I want to wrap up, but I want mm -hmm. to wrap up with saying thank you and mm -hmm. uh, just to tell everybody about a little story that our daughter, Lily, she um, still mentions that one of the favorite things in her life so far was when she got a chance to participate in signing day for going to college. And Coach Marshall did such a wonderful job of uh, celebrating Lily on that day and talking about, you know, what his coaching relationship was with her. And Coach Marshall knew what the name of the tennis coach at the school she was going to was. And I compared some of the other students that were there signing on that day and how uh, underprepared some of them were for such a, a fantastic day mm -hmm. that I just wanted to thank you so much for providing that wonderful experience to our daughter and it's something that she will never forget 
was the kind words that you had for her? Well, you are so welcome. And again, Lily Waite, who again now has graduated from Legend and uh, is at Haston, Kansas, playing for uh, her team. Um, this is another athlete that makes coaching worthwhile. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that make coaching worthwhile. But when you have your Lily Waits of the world, it just it it makes you realize that yes, this is a good place to be. Um, she's truly an incredible athlete, and an incredible student athlete, I should say. Um, she developed her game, as you know, um, so quickly, so very quickly. And because she had played volleyball and has been around sports and understands how to communicate with teammates and coaches and setbacks and triumphs. She, she has a lot of poise. She has a lot of composure and she has a lot of savvy because some kids don't if they've never had that uh, experience. But what was truly remarkable is when um, she would be playing. Um, and in this case, she had uh, an incredible stable partner, Megan Jimenez, um, at, in high school. And she was so positive that it rubbed off on her partner. And there would be so many matches that they might have maybe not the better strokes, but oh my gosh, were they mentally tougher? And oh my gosh, were they smarter? And, and they just totally benefited from that. And, and I will, I said this to you earlier, um, all of our kids at practice, they would always wanna be the practice partner with your daughter, Lily because they knew the ball would come back an umpteen number of times and they could really practice. And it's just, it was a, a wonderful time to coach her those four years. But I remember the signing day, it was just a, a true celebration day where um, you don't get that many chances to uh, send off athletes like that to college. And I, and I loved every minute of it. Well, and I uh, have to thank you for your program. We've always encouraged our kids to participate in sports, and it's actually, mm -hmm. we haven't made it a requirement, but we've said, mm -hmm. you know, just something that weight kids have always done is they've always participated in an activity or a sport in addition to going to school. Mm -hmm. So we want you to find something that is, number one, fun for you mm -hmm. to participate in, because unless you enjoy it, you're mm -hmm. not going to want to get better at it. Oh, exactly. And so thank you for making uh, tennis fun because she thought that playing volleyball was mm -hmm. her most fun sport. Mm -hmm. But when she came out in the spring, uh, her freshman year, to just do something a little bit different, to maybe have some fun with a friend of hers, mm -hmm. um, Megan Jimenez, mm -hmm. and do something that was a little break from volleyball, it was because the program was fun and the culture of the tennis team was fun. Mm -hmm. that's why she continued to play. And that's something I encourage all kids to make sure that it's uh, fun is the number one thing in your sport, because if you don't look forward to it, mm -hmm. find something else. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that's so, that's very kind of you to say, and I, I really appreciate it. Well, Coach Marshall, thank you so much for being here. Um, this is going to be a fantastic uh, content for everybody that gets a chance to listen to it. Mm -hmm. So Thank you again. We appreciate you. Thank you. Have a fantastic day. Thank you. Well, thank you to Craig Marshall for coming on the Weight Training Podcast. Really enjoyed our time together, and I was able to get some fantastic nuggets out of that interview, and I hope that all of you were able to just get a little 
piece of what makes Coach Craig Marshall so special and why his program at Legend High School is so successful as well. So thank you again for tuning in to the Weight Training Podcast. If you guys haven't done so already, really appreciate it if you go and leave us a review. That way more people can find this podcast and uh, we can get it into the ears of many more out there. So thank you again, and we'll see you guys next week on Workout Wednesday. Take care.